good afternoon, everybody. How are you today? You're like, what the hell? What's Mad Dog doing on Hannity? No, just an ode to the dog. But this is actually Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, media and politics columnist for The Hill, and a guy who has filled in on this show before. We're going to have some fun today, kids. We're on, what is this, Christmas? No, I'm sorry, New Year's Eve Eve, right? So, hey, it's going to be a big night tomorrow, alone in my basement. Yeah, there's Joe Biden in his basement, and I'm in my basement. I guess, I don't know. We have alcohol, so it won't be uh, too bad. The the, the wife will be around, and uh, we'll, we'll make it a party, watch some Dukes of Hazard reruns. Who knows? Who cares? Just not going to watch that uh, Dick Clark's rocking New Year's Eve. You know why? Guess who the big special guests are? Jill and Joe Biden. Another tough interview, this time with Ryan Seacrest. Come on, man. Seacrest out. I know, right? Give me another come on, man. Come on, man. Thank you. So, yeah, we, we have to endure that. And, of course, no one's going to Times Square. It's going to be empty. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just depressing. And this year, obviously, can't end soon enough for any of us. Meanwhile, we got this whole Georgia runoff thing going on January 5th. Two Senate seats up for grabs. You've heard the story a 100 times. If Democrats win both seats, it's a 50-50 split in the Senate. If that split happens... Kamala Harris is your tiebreaker if votes go along party lines and you're going to have things like, oh, I don't know, uh, abolish, uh, for instance, will be a big theme like abolish ICE, abolish the filibuster, abolish the Electoral College. And then you're going to have expansion, but not in the way that we normally think of in terms of economic expansion. Oh, no, you're going to have a Supreme Court that will look like a baseball roster. To wipe out the conservative edge, which I guess is 5-4, because you don't know exactly what to call Justice Roberts at this point. But let's, uh, for S and giggles, uh, call it 6-3. Wipe that out. They'll expand it by four, five, six judges, whatever you like. And you'll have um, Supreme Court Justice Stacey Abrams before you know it. Yay. Uh, then expand the Senate as well. Okay, I even put an extra S in this is the Senate because it's this is a scary because they want to add D.C. and Puerto Rico as states. I lived in D.C., a little bit outside of it, in a little town called College Park. And I'm telling you, it's like the size of my apartment in Hoboken uh, back in the 90s, D.C. It should not be a state. But that means getting two more senators. And considering that President Trump got 4% of the vote in D.C. in the last election, pretty sure they're both going to go Democratic. And then Puerto Rico, right, which is like the size of Long Beach Island in Jersey, they get two Senate seats as well when that becomes a state. So any sort of majority that Republicans may have, and it's what, what was it, 53-47 in the last Senate? Yet that goes away completely. You'll never have the Senate again, right? So this is why this particular election is so big. Because if you love banning fracking, then sure, give Democrats the Senate because then they already have the House, they have the Senate, they have the White House, probably, we think, we'll see, most likely. You know, I always hedge my bets on that a little bit, because uh, if there's anybody who knows how to throw Hail Marys, it's, it's President Trump. But I, I again, uh, let, let's keep the conversation in that mode uh, just for conversation's sake. Banning fracking, reallocation of police funds, because things are going so well here uh, where I am in New York City uh, or near it anyway, where you had murders up 50 percent and you had shootings doubled. And not just there, Atlanta, Philly, Miami, pick your city, Minneapolis, Seattle, Portland. It's a train wreck in all these Democratic-led cities. And that's all because police aren't getting the types of funds and support that they should get from their mayors. So that's a big problem. Uh, Then taxes will be raised. Joe Biden may say that, well, no, I'm not going to raise any taxes. Anybody making less than $400,000, then you tell me how you're going to pay for the Green New Deal, which is trillions, 
trillions. And that's at a very low estimate in terms of like four trillion. And then, oh, yeah, uh, free college, community college for everyone. Oh, and you're going to forgive everybody's student loan debt as well. And then obviously you're going to expand government through many programs outside of what I'm talking about. No way in terms of actually talking basic math that you could possibly do all those things and not raise taxes on basically everyone. So that's what's at stake here in terms of Georgia. And Newt Gingrich seems to get this at this point because he is begging, literally use the word begging, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, to rethink his strategy on the COVID relief bill. Because, look, I, I get what he's doing, and it makes sense, and it's shrewd on many levels, but we were, we're kind of out of time at this point in terms of trying to put through something in the way he wants to, where, okay, he's saying, okay, fine, we'll do the $2,000 checks, which, by the way, I love how Democrats are taking complete and total credit for this, as if it was their idea. It was President Trump who put a stop to $600 checks. And the one who said, we got to get it up to 2000. Now, suddenly, if you read all the press clippings, it was Pelosi and Schumer's idea. Funny how that works. But anyway, he's saying, all right, McConnell is $2,000 checks. No problem. But also, we're going to repeal Section 230. All right. That's basically what gives big tech social media companies liability protection uh, from what their users may post on their sites, for instance. So uh, anybody posts something, you know, insane, uh, they can't be sued for it. It's our users. We're, we're not responsible for it. Yet they can control all the content that's on there, as we saw with the Hunter Biden story, for instance. So nice deal if you can get it. And Republicans and Democrats are supposed to be aligned on that in terms of repealing that. So that kind of makes sense. And then obviously he wants to look into voter fraud and any voting irregularities and everything that went wrong in terms of voting. Uh, in the 2020 election. These are all fair things, and these are things that absolutely the president wants. Uh, but here's what Gingrich is saying in terms of how he should go about this. Cut one, go. I really am very worried that if he plays a clever parliamentary game, it may look good inside the Senate, but it could cost us two Senate seats and control the Senate. So I would beg him to bring up the $2,000 payment as a freestanding independent vote uh, and yeah. I'll have people like Senator Leffler and, and Senator Perdue able to come back and vote for it, take it mm -hmm. off the table as an issue. That's exactly right. New Gingrich on Fox News earlier. And yeah, just all right, go for all these things. Repeal Section 230. Look into voting irregularities and everything that went wrong in voting in 2020. Yes, clean bill, clean bill, $2,000 checks, clean bill. This way, at least you get the votes out there because those races down in Georgia are that tight and you will have some people sitting at home, unfortunately, because they think that their vote just won't matter because they think that it was stolen back in November. So that's what's at stake here. I, I, I get that if people want to make a stand and, and, and you know, put, put a line in the sand and say, you know what, we're not participating in any elections until this thing gets fixed or President Trump is given a, a free hearing, so to speak, uh, as far as his claims. But look, your result is a blank check all around. Democrats in the House, Democrats in the Senate, House Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, get used to that. And then it goes to Joe Biden, even though I don't know if it does go to Joe Biden at that point in the Oval Office, because he keeps referring to his vice president-elect in Kamala Harris as the president-elect. Uh, and it's just one of those things that, I don't know, is this Freudian or is this kind of how things are already? Cut to go. I took it to instill public confidence in the vaccine. President-elect Harris took it, took hers today for the same right. reason. Yeah. And he's reading off a prompter. So, you know, it's like uh, Anchorman. <laughs> Don't put that in prompter. Anything you put in prompter, Burgundy will read or Biden will read, I guess, in this case. So uh, the, the gaff machine continues. But hey, the late night hosts won't touch that, will they? Colbert? No, we can't do any jokes about Biden. We're going to insult our audience's intelligence. And, and, and they may have hurt feelings. They may yell at us on Twitter. Ah, shut up. Oh, 
speaking of yelling, uh, well, this is the controversy of controversies that I can't talk about quite enough as somebody of Spanish heritage. Now, my name is Joe Concha, and people assume that since I have a vowel that ending my name in an A and that I'm from New Jersey, that automatically makes me Italian. Right. Concha. No, not quite. It's Spanish. Eh, Basque. It's like the northern part of Spain. Beautiful place. Uh, San Sebastian. Anyway, uh, look, I could appreciate this story or, or maybe I can't because here you have Ilaria Baldwin, who is actually Hillary Baldwin, the wife of Alec Baldwin, who has been saying uh, for a very long time now that she was born. Yes, yeah, so let's get the uh, Spanish techno up. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. Thank you, Jason. Here you have a woman who has said that she was born in Spain and then came to America when she was just 19 years old. On her CAA speaker page, CAA is an agency, uh, says that she was born in Spain. Uh, she also told uh, a podcast this year that she moved here as a teenager. But then she's also been going on these shows and acting like she doesn't quite completely know English because she was born in Spain and it's kind of like her second language. The problem is, she was born in Boston, and her name is Hillary. It's not Alaria. So let's go to, let's see, uh, Jason, cut five here, and you'll, I'll, you'll, you'll see what I mean. This is on the Today Show, where she pretends she doesn't know how to say the word cucumber in English. Go. We have very few ingredients. We have tomatoes. We have, um, how do you say anything? Cucumber? Cucumbers. We have. <laughs> That's great. That is the worst fake Spanish accent ever. I mean, I've heard bad accents before, believe me. I mean, let's take, I don't know, for example, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, all right? And I'm not saying that she isn't uh, of, of Latina uh, descent, uh, but at the same time, she went with this other accent when speaking before a conference that was organized by Al Sharpton. And this is something that if you're driving right now, be sure you pull over to the side of the road or put two hands on the wheel because you may fly off said road. Cut six, go. I'm proud to be a bartender. Ain't nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working retail, folding clothes for other people to buy. There is nothing wrong with preparing the food that your neighbors will eat. No. Uh, who knew that wrong was spelled W-R-A-A-A-A-N-G? Wrong. She went like kind of like Valley Girl slash, I don't know, Reverend Wright kind of thing. If you combine all that together and that's how you get wrong and bah. Uh, it's so insulting. And yet you hear the crowd going, yeah, that's right. I know I never heard you actually speak like that before, but yay, AOC. But nothing beats. I mean, this is the gold medal by far. You can never play this enough. Hillary Clinton speaking to a crowd in Selma, Alabama. And suddenly she goes from Hillary from, I guess, where's she from? Illinois. Illinois to Arkansas to Washington to New York and morphs into Roll Tide. Play cut seven. Go. I don't feel no ways tired. <laughs> I come too far <laughs> from where I started from. Who's he, God or Bill? Uh, you never quite know who the pronoun is in that particular situation. But yeah, boy, it's amazing. She won a Senate seat. She was Secretary of State and won the popular vote in 2016. After doing that, you should be canceled. I don't believe in cancel culture. After that alone, that should be the end of your political career. I guess we could play Al Gore, Jason, the sound guy. Uh, it would cut eight, only because 
I give him a little bit of a pass because he is from Tennessee, even though by the time he got to Washington, then suddenly that accent went away. But again, the insulting of intelligence to Southern folks for speaking the way they speak when you're not really kind of Southern, particularly Al Gore, who's kind of on the fence. Ah, let's play it anyway. Go ahead. Cut it. Go. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Stand with me for the economic empowerment that is the next great civil rights frontier. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Don't tell me we live in a colorblind society. The Republicans know that theirs is the wrong agenda for African Americans. That's why they don't even want to count you in the census. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Ah, he too won the popular vote. Again, should not even, somehow there has to be some sort of law, a constitutional amendment that says once you start speaking to people like that, uh, that that's the end. It, 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 it's over. Meanwhile, I'll just wrap up, uh, put a little nice, nice little bow here on this uh, Alaria. I'm sorry, Hillary Baldwin story. Uh, the bride, that is Alaria, this is when she got married to Alec Baldwin. Right. Speaking of imitations, his Trump is the worst in SNL history. All right. The bride wore a mantilla. Oh, boy. Uh, at their New York wedding, when they exchanged vows, they didn't say yes. They said C. Uh, they also, uh, let's see, hit a pinata. Uh, they exchanged Cartier, Cartier. I don't go to Cartier, so that's why I mispronounced it. Rings inscribed in Spanish. Oh, this, this it just doesn't get any better than this. And later said she... And later, she said her family, quote, couldn't pronounce her surname. Her family, her grandfather, is from Nebraska. Oh, so the ridicule here, richly deserved, no question about it. I am Jose Concha filling in for, how do you say Sean in Spanish? I don't even know. Sean Hannity, the Sean Hannity Show. Back with more in just a moment. Have you seen this Gallup poll? It's very, very interesting. Around the most admired man in America. Play it, Jason. We'll give a little preview of who actually won this. Yes. So, after 12 straight re years of Barack Obama being at the top of this list, President, I'll do it in the uh, Gorka voice, Donald J. Trump has won most admired man in America, tops Obama. But here's the most notable part. Trump finished first. Obama got the silver. Who was a distant third in this particular poll? Joseph Biden. Now, wait a minute. This is a guy who apparently got 81 million votes in the 2020 Come on, election. man. Come on, man. 12 million more than Obama. Give me another come on, man. Come on, man. Thank you. 27 million more votes than Ronald Reagan in 1984 won 49 states. Wait a minute. And Biden gets 6% of the most admired vote? How is that possible? This guy's a tidal wave, 81 million votes. Yet, he can't even get second. That's amazing, but here's the best part, all right? There's a female side to this as well. And Michelle Obama got most admired woman. How could that possibly be? We have an historic candidate in Kamala Harris. She's gonna be the first female vice president. And yet you're telling me that she finished second with only 6% of the vote? How is this possible? Back with more in a moment on the Sean Hannity Show. We got Miranda Devine coming up, New York Post, going to talk about everything and anything that she wants to talk about. That's next. As a teenager, 
there was kind of a, a nickname I had called the Hand Man, but I, I mean, it's a little weird for Scott Shannon to know that on some level, in, in the context for that matter, which, which you know, I was young. You're a sad, Sorry. sad man, you know that? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was Scott Shannon. I listened to him on WPLJ here in New York growing up, and there he is, like, as the voice, like, introducing me. That's, that's kind of wild. I, I still have, like, severe difficulty believing that I'm on 625 radio stations right now and filling in for Sean Hannity uh, with, with this many people uh, listening, even on a holiday week. It's it's fun, and we're going to have fun. Uh, that That's all I can say. It's, it's, it's Christmas. I'm sorry, I keep doing that. New Year's Eve Eve. So let's bring in, without any further ado, from the New York Post, Miranda Devine, who, you know, I didn't even do this intentionally. I just kind of found out myself. Miranda, apparently, even though you're on the Sean Hannity radio show right now, we will be on together by no organization that that we did uh, on the Sean Hannity show tonight, except it will be without Sean Hannity. Does all that make sense, Miranda? I think it does, right? Yeah, hi, Joe. Yeah, it's meant to be clearly today. It must be the Miranda and Joe show day. I think so. And it's good that you put your name first, because clearly uh, you are the star here and you, and you know a heck of a lot more about a heck of a lot more than I do. Yeah. Tammy Bruce, I believe, is hosting for Sean Hannity tonight. Nine o'clock Fox News Channel. Uh, do tune in. I believe we're at the top of the show as well, because that's where you put the A-list guests in the A block. Uh, Miranda, uh, New York Post has a story uh, today that I want you to expound on or expand on. I'm not quite sure what word we use there. Uh, headline, charged with murder, stabbing in New York City under de Blasio. You're free to go. How is that possible? How does that work, Miranda? Well, uh, it's really, this is the result of defunding the police, of the bail reform, so-called, that came in on January 1st, um, and all the terrible things that our legislature has done to the criminal justice system in New York. And it's basically turning back on all those reforms that were made after the disasters in the 70s and the 80s. If anyone who was here, I was here in the 80s and the 90s when before Giuliani, before that city was cleaned up. And we know what it was like then and we know how it's heading now very much in the same trajectory. And uh, here we have in the Bronx a an elderly man was robbed and bashed to death by this Jordan Benjamin, allegedly. And uh, then he's let out on bail. And what does he do again? He's arrested um, just uh, a few days ago with the stabbing of a woman, um, you know. And, and again, the same judge lets him out again on his recognizance without having to even post bail. I don't understand. If we have uh, in New York a Governor Cuomo, right, Emmy award-winning Governor Cuomo, mind you, <laughs> right, and he's being considered by Joe Biden on a very, very short list for attorney general, uh, didn't he sign into law these bail reforms? As you mentioned, it puts repeat offenders back on the streets hours after arrest, including, obviously, uh, violent offenders. Uh, gun violence, as I mentioned in the last block, has skyrocketed in New York. Uh, and yet he wants to be the top cop in the country, at least is being considered for it. Yet this is the same guy who never allowed an independent investigation into his order to put COVID-19 positive patients back in the nursing homes, which I always say is like taking a, a blowtorch to dry grass and result in the thousands of thousands of deaths. So here you have yet Cuomo being considered for AG. Uh, how is that even remotely possible? But then again, this is the Biden administration where uh, the swamp is uh, back in style. 
It is. And, you know, it's sort of opposite day all the time with them. They, they, they talk a good talk and they seem to be able to make re- reality whatever they want it to be. You had, you know, Andrew Cuomo was probably the worst governor of any in the country in terms of presiding over COVID and the coronavirus uh, crisis. Um, and truly, New York was at the forefront because of all the flights that came in and because it's such a built-up city. But it still does not account for the terrible management of both the mayor and the governor who fought non-stop. They constantly quarrel. They don't work together. And they, they Cuomo in particular, was so arrogant. I mean, his nursing home mandate in March, uh, sending COVID-positive patients into nursing homes was a death sentence for thousands and thousands of people. And we don't even know exactly how many because he stopped us being able to know how many by fudging the figures. And then he wrote a book and congratulated himself on what a great job he did. And rather than the Democrat Party sort of turning its back on him or being a little embarrassed, they embraced him. They invited him to the convention. They talked about him being AG for Biden. Um, Seems that maybe wiser heads have prevailed. But Andrew Cuomo wants to be president. He's setting himself up for a run as president. New York's not big enough for him, and his ego is enormous and much too big for this state. So that's what he wants to do, and he doesn't seem to understand that he's never atoned for the mistakes that he made during coronavirus. He's never apologised. Every every leader, political leader in the world made mistakes. Cuomo made more than most, but he's never admitted it. He's just patted himself on the back and pretended that he was fantastic. Contrition is a foreign concept with the Cuomos in general. And we're talking to Miranda Devine, New York Post. Do you ever think of getting out of New York? In other words, look, it's not safe anymore, clearly. We, we, we talked about murders up 40%, shootings are double. Uh, it used to be if you went out at night, you didn't really think, almost regardless of where you were uh, in, in most parts of the city, you didn't think, oh boy, is this a dangerous spot? Because it just, under Giuliani and even under Bloomberg who continued it, everything was fine. So you felt safe and you were willing to pay more in taxes and you know the education system, perhaps you send your kid private because obviously there's problems there if you can afford it, of course. And I know a lot of people can't. But the point is, that you, you almost put up with the high taxes because at least you felt safe and the, the city had such character. And now it just feels like a shell of itself. And if you could work from anywhere, right? In other words, you don't have to go to the New York Post newsroom. It's nice if you do, but you could work from North Dakota or what I would do actually, go to Florida or Texas where it's nice and warm. Why not just move there, no state income tax and just do your job from anywhere? I mean, I've I'm about 27% there, but I still have family here, so that's what keeps me here anyway, Miranda. Yeah, look, it's really, you make a very compelling case, and I have lots of friends who have moved to Florida um, or who are contemplating moving to Florida, and people I never thought would leave the city. But, um, you know, as they say, even with rents coming down, um, the lifestyle, the things that people were here in New York for have pretty much vanished at the moment. I mean, there's no plays, no movies, you know, no restaurants, no bars. It's a shell of itself. But um, look, I think New York, I, I, I just know New York's been in down times before. And as I said, you know, my parents lived here. I lived with my parents back in the 80s and the 90s. And um, 
Times Square was a no-go zone. Uh, you had to be careful where you went on the subway. Um, you know, Central Park, women were getting raped. So it was a very different city then, and it came back from that. Um, so I guess it's going to take a long time, but I don't think you can completely write off the city, although there is a different element these days, which is that people don't need to live in cities, as you said. They can work from anywhere. So these office buildings uh, around us in Midtown, um, they're all empty. Um, and, you know, the shop the shop owners, the, the pret-a-mangers and the carts and the places that people used to, office people used to have lunch, they've all folded up their tents and gone away. So uh, you just have to hope that people decide that they are going to come back into offices after the pandemic and that, you know, the people who are paying the rent actually think, well, you know, we, it's it's worth paying sky-high rents and all the taxes that New York pours into us um, for the sake of having camaraderie or whatever spark comes from people working together in one office space. And I'm not sure that they're going to make that decision. I'm with you because, again, it used to, you have to go to an office in the past because, well, that's where the fax machine was or that's where the big conference yeah. room was, right? And now it's like the technology at home is the same as it is in an office and commuting is just killer in New York as it is in Los Angeles, as it is in Washington. So I could see a lot of companies saying, you know what, we'll still have some people in the office and you could come in sometimes, but they're going to downsize and that will affect then all the businesses that count on people working in big cities like New York. We're talking to uh, New York Post uh, columnist Miranda Devine. Uh, I want to get to this because this is appalling quite frankly, and I don't use that word very often because it sounds pretentious, but it's the only word that's coming to mind right now. Senator Josh Hawley, all right, he's a Republican from Missouri, and he said today that he will object during Congress's counting of the electoral college vote on January 6th. He becomes the first GOP senator to back the effort by House conservatives. So he puts this up on Twitter, and who responds but Walmart? And they say, go ahead, Get your two-hour debate, sore loser. This is a major corporation responding to a Republican senator. Who, who's running the Walmart account? What 16-year-old intern got, got a hold of this thing? Well, it's a terrible reputational damage for them. Um, you know, this is the... This is not just, you know, someone saying that they're Walmart. This is actually the verified Walmart account. Official account, and, yeah. and And to say to a sitting senator... Sore loser. It's just so rude and unbelievable that it, it, it was put up in the first place and then it stayed up. And, you know, this is Walmart, which, which um, if you remember um, during the sort of uh, FBI lovebirds uh, email fest, um, they were talking about smelly Walmart people. I know Sean Hannity talks about it all the time, oh, yeah. treating, uh, treating Trump voters as if they were deplorables and smelly people who shopped in Walmart. Um, and and that that is the sort of uh, antagonism that comes from the left towards Walmart. And here's Walmart siding with the left, uh, who, which has abused them and their, their shoppers, to attack Josh Hawley. And it's just 
So it reveals a lot about that Miranda, company. Miranda, I just don't get that. Just from a business perspective for a moment, right? Why you would alienate immediately half the country from shopping at Walmart again? Because there's other options besides Walmart as far as big box stores. Uh, and <laughs> I love um, Holly's response. I don't know if you saw it, but it's uh, he, he did shoot back and basically says, okay, yeah, uh, I'll, uh, I'll do that uh, once you, let's see, or maybe you'd like to apologize for the pathetic wages you pay your workers as you <laughs> drive mom and pop stores out of businesses. That got 30,000 likes as it should. That's right. As you said, you've just insulted 75 million Americans. But, you know, this is what you get from woke corporates. It None of it makes sense. Uh, you know, corporations should stay completely agnostic and out of politics. And yet they they pile on, all of them do, and whether it's Google and Facebook or Amazon or Walmart or Coca-Cola or the NBA, these big brands think that they're bigger than their audience, and uh, they so far are so arrogant, they seem to get away with it. But I think, you know, once Americans wake up to it and get angry enough and start being strategic about you know, for instance, Twitter, after it banned the New York Post uh, story about Hunter Biden's laptop, uh, a lot of people moved, that, that spawned a big revolution to people moving on to parlor. So when there are, go- there are going to be these alternative um, shops and voices springing up, and those brands which have gone woke will find that they're losing business and soon out of business. As the old saying says, get woke, go broke. I love the accent, Miranda, by the way, if you don't mind me saying so. Can you say parlor one more time? <laughs> parlor, parlor. Wow. You make it sound so regal, you know? I, maybe I'll start <laughs> posting there a little bit more. I think I have an account, but I, I don't really go on there too often, but uh, maybe that'll change. Uh, finally, we got about 30 seconds. Uh, I'll make it 15, actually, just to hedge my bets on this a little bit. Uh, what is your New Year's resolution, if any, Miranda Devine, New York Post? Oh, my gosh. I don't really have a New Year's resolution. Maybe go to the gym more often. <laughs> I, if you can go. <laughs> getting through this year has been hard enough. Um, yeah, but, you know, do a, do something exciting. Do something new and fresh in my, my career. Oh, I, I, I have revenge spending on my mind. Uh, no question about it. What I always do, it's a nice little cop out. I just say, you know what? I'm giving up scotch for uh, 2021. I never drink scotch, but set, that's what makes the revolu- resolution that easy. You know, it sounds good on paper. Anyway, we got to go, Miranda, but I, I appreciate you coming on. And I guess I'm going to see you in about uh, something like five hours on uh, Hannity tonight in the Fox News channel. And uh, thanks again for everything. And we'll talk in five hours. Thanks so much, George. See you. All right. Bye bye. And more of the Sean Hannity Show coming up next. We have a big, big, well, you know what? Just stick around. Believe me, you're going to want to hear this story. It's the worst tease ever, but I have a feeling you will stick around. Joe Concha filling in for Sean Hannity. Back with much more in just a moment. And here we go. It is Joe Concha filling in for Sean Hannity. If you want to be a part of the program, toll-free number, mind you. It won't cost you a cent. 800 941 7326-800-941-SEAN, spelled the correct way, S-E-A-N. Apologies to everybody who spells their name. That is named Sean, S-H-A-W-N. It doesn't count. S-E-A-N, 800-941-7326. You want to be part of the program. But first, we're going to make it a party here on New Year's Eve Eve. And that means we're going to bring in three of the more respected pollsters and columnists that you'll hear on any radio show. Starting off with Craig Kashishian. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly, Craig, but uh, I have a feeling I did. You were educated in 
Wow. Cornell, Princeton, and Yale. Why not just go to Brown and hit for the cycle? Why don't you? And you served on the White House staff of President Ronald Reagan. Impressive. Uh, Matt Towery, syndicated columnist, attorney, and pollster. And Robert Cahaley, who uh, certainly made a name for himself uh, before the 2020 election of the Trafalgar Group. Uh, we want to discuss the Senate runoff scheduled for January 5th in the state of Georgia, the whole ball game as it pertains to the Senate. If Democrats win both seats, it's a 50-50 split. And Kamala Harris is your tie-breaking vote. I have a feeling I know how she'll vote if she were to actually have to do that tie-break. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Hey, Craig, did I get it right? Yes, you did, sir. Thank you, Joe. Nice to be aboard. Oh, great to have you. I mean, three Ivy League schools. Jesus, I feel stupid all of a sudden, more stupid than <laughs> I usually do. <laughs> I appreciate it all on scholarship. But by the way, I did poll for President Reagan. So, And we did all of us get 2016 right. And we, the three of us also got 2020 right. And the congressional gains Republicans made right. So that's the gift we bring to the party right now. You ever sit back and just kind of, you know, pour yourself like a nice bourbon and then look at Joe Biden getting 81 million votes, which was 27 million more votes than Reagan did in 84 when he won 49 states. And I get it was a smaller population and there wasn't really mail-in voting, but 27 million more than Reagan in a landslide. How is that possible? I mean, does that ever like have you pause and say, wait a minute, that that doesn't quite add up? (laughs) Uh, uh, Yes, sir. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are professional magicians and they can't even pull that stunt. So go figure. Yeah, better than Houdini. Uh, hey, Robert Cahalli, uh, I, I'm just curious. I, I'm seeing your new uh, poll out, newish anyway, about uh, uh, out, I guess, earlier today or last night. As far as this runoff is concerned in Georgia, and you are showing 50.4% for Ossoff, only 47.7% for Purdue, uh, a very small number of undecideds, as we would expect, uh, about 1.9%. And then you even have the Reverend Warnock at 49.6%. Slightly leading Kelly Loeffler at 48.8%. She, of course, is the Republican, 1.6% undecided. What is the change here in terms of the shift? Because I've seen your polls before showing slight leads on the Republican side. Seems like the Democrats had the momentum right now. Uh, well, it, it definitely feels that way. One of the things that happened, uh, we, originally we had Purdue down a hair and we had um, uh, Leffler leading uh, a little bit, and then it, and then Purdue started to move ahead as we. That was our fourth uh, release poll in this this race. But what we saw was a radical change the day the 600 passed, and then Trump came out and he wanted the uh, the 2000. Uh, it hmm. Immediately, uh, Warnock and um, and uh, Ossoff said, well, hey, we agree we want the 2,000. And the Republicans were just slow on the draw. I mean, you know, they were saying things like, well, we've got to look into it. We can consider that. And they just grabbed the high ground. And, and when we polled this issue, 72% of the voters across Georgia believe that it should be $2,000 versus 600. I mean, I mean that's, that's like term limits high. And so it, yeah. it's, it's a silly place to play. Uh, I'm, I'm, I think it is... It, they had the chance to to vote on a uh, on a bill to get the get that money in these people's pockets. You know, people talk arbitrarily and in the sense of, well, I'm going to vote for what's going to be best for my pocketbook. Well, this is what's best for my pocketbook in the next ten days. And you know, I mean, less is more unless you're talking about stimulus. <laughs> and people won't uh, won't wanted this. And I, I think this was a bad move. And the fact that they it, it stalled in the Senate is bad news. 
So Matt Towery, syndicated columnist, how do we, also an attorney and pollster as well, uh, how, do, how does the Republican Party, uh, in, in terms of Purdue and Loeffler, uh, uh, turn this around? I mean, it's hard to, uh, once you've had a first impression, in other words, as uh, Robert was just referring to, uh, you know, slow to the punch as far as just not backing what the president was calling for, which would be a pretty easy thing to do. Uh, it, it seems that now that this is the number one issue, it, it's basically blotting out the sun. I get that there's still seven days until that election or six days, but still uh, uh, the clock's running out, runway's running out. And you, you have to wonder if between this and the fact that there's still maybe, and I don't know what the number is, I don't think anybody knows what the number is, but as far as some people just saying, I'm sitting out because I feel like my last vote uh, wasn't counted or there was some chicanery that went on with the last election. So I'm, I'm not even going to bother. I, I wonder if that's enough to, to push this to the Democrats and therefore a blank check all around from House to Senate to the Oval Office as far as Democrats controlling everything. Well, it's a concern that Robert and Craig and I all share um, for the Republican side. Um, I, I had the pleasure of serving in the Georgia legislature. I'm a native of Georgia. I've told there for 20 years. I can tell you the only thing that will save these candidates is Donald Trump. He needs to be in their ads. He needs to be on television. He needs to be in robocalls. Um, you cannot run away from this man because, as I said over and over again, he is not just a political figure. He is a religion in the state of Georgia. And in North Georgia, Central Georgia, and South Georgia, if we can't motivate the, if they, if they can't, if they, the voters cannot be motivated to return his most loyal Trump supporters, these guys cannot win. What we see right now are the demographics, and we're able to track them every day as they come out, Joe. The numbers right now are not looking favorable for the Republicans. They need a massive surge on Election Day because as you're hearing nationally that this is the biggest turnout and it's like a, a, a general election turnout. It's not. We're a million votes shy of where we were uh, in the general election in terms of the total vote figure. These guys need a massive turnout on Election Day in order to overtake their Democratic opponents. Otherwise, they won't win. 2.3 million have already voted, uh, to your point, uh, in early voting. Uh, that is behind uh, the general election. But uh, Craig Kashishian, I, I just wonder, will the president's appearance there next week at a rally, does he have to almost do what he did in Pennsylvania, perhaps uh, a few days before the election, where he would hold five rallies in one day throughout the state just to show uh, that that he absolutely wants to win that state? Or is the president's heart, you think, maybe isn't in this because he still thinks he got screwed in the, in the presidential election? It's a great question. I, I'm hoping the president uh, will do multiple rallies in Georgia. I think it's going to take more than one rally in Georgia to uh, erase the apathy and reinstill the momentum for Robert is right. We saw this in our own poll. I work with Matt on Insider Advantage, and we saw a chilling of the momentum uh, of the two Republican candidates. They were both slightly up. And at this point in time, given a 40-year track record in polling along with Matt, you know, usually in an off election like this, um, the Republican uh, candidate in a runoff usually starts to get a bit of a surge, a bit of a, of a, of a gallop. We're not seeing that. In fact, if anything, we're seeing a chilling, maybe even a slight reversal of momentum. And to, to reignite that spark uh, will, re will probably take the president uh, to be fully engaged in this race and for those two candidates, not uh, a long monologue on, on the travails and travesty that took place on election night last month, but rather looking forward and at the consequences of, indeed, a, a fully empowered democratic government, which could be, as we all know, devastating on all facets of American society. Now, things are already out of hand in Atlanta. 
crime is surging. The, the, the Democratic mayor has made a plea to ask for help on how to figure out the murder rate that's surging. They hired a private police force to patrol Buckhead. What's Atlanta come down to? These are micro issues that these campaigns should be focused on. You know, uh, defunding the police, a lack of cash bail, um, closing down the Atlanta city jail. Um, all of these things uh, affect everybody, Joe, in life. You, I would presume, live in Washington. You have friends who are Democrats, liberals, I'm sure. You have to if you live in D.C. Everybody is worried about safety and security. They want to be able to sleep at night safely in their own homes. That's endangered now because of the Democratic agenda uh, and the Antifa issues. These candidates are not fo- focusing on that, and the president needs to come home and drill that in. Those are the consequences of a democratically controlled government. Yeah, and he he didn't do that the first time he went down there for a rally. He focused on the 2020 November election instead of so much uh, the Senate runoffs. And uh, I should uh, clarify for the record, I am actually out of the hills because I write write for the Hill, and that's a D.C. publication, clearly. Uh, They they let me work out of the Jersey Bureau, which is uh, in North Jersey, out of my basement. So I'm the other Joe in his basement. But, uh, yeah, I love Washington. I'll be down there all the time. Uh, But to your your point, uh, look, we're we're talking about, again, if you have – Democratic House, Democratic Senate, Democratic White House, abolishing ICE, abolishing the filibuster, abolishing the Electoral College. That means you're never probably going to win an election again. Expanding the Supreme Court uh, to look like a baseball team, expanding the Senate by four seats to say goodbye to that chamber, ban fracking, reallocate police funds, raise taxes to pay for the Green New Deal, free college, and forgiving student loan debt. But besides that, nothing's at stake here. Uh, Robert, uh, I'll give the final word (laughs) to you uh, here. I'll I'll get two final words, actually, on this. We'll We'll do a lightning round. I'll make it three. I'm making this up as I go along. Uh, so in terms of the next seven days, uh, and I obviously turnout is everything and the president coming down there is everything. Is there any other sort of X factor that we could be looking for here uh, that could make this uh, at least because remember, Republicans don't have to win both races. They only have to win one. It seems like Loeffler's in a better position against Warnock, who is a weaker candidate, you could say, than Ossoff because he, he's got a little bit more baggage. Uh, could we see a split election, or is that just not possible because it's just totally down ballot? Uh, I do. That's me. Uh, or to, go ahead, Matt. High numbers have shown that's definitely possible. Um, we, uh, we we see a difference between them. We've always seen uh, the warnock uh, Leffler race a little uh, stronger for the Republicans uh, than the Purdue-Ossoff uh, race. Uh, we do think that, and as far as the X factor, uh, the weather forecast looks good, and that that is a, a you know, uh, Matt, who's lived here, can certainly speak to this, and I, and I know I've discussed this with Sean about ice storms in uh, in Georgia, and uh, so I like the fact that it's not supposed to freeze at all the night before or during the day, uh, but yeah, I, th- I think we could see a split decision, but I- I'll make this prediction: whatever we see is going to be close enough that there's going to be lots of court cases and stuff when this is over with. We're not we're not going to have an any clearer winner than we did with president. I, I highly doubt that's going to happen in both races. Wow, I can't believe that we won't know election night who's going to win. Oh, that's right. It's a thing now that we never know who's winning on election night anymore. Oh, boy. Uh, all right, Matt, uh, last word. you got 20 seconds to say whatever the hell you want. Okay. I've known Ralph Reed since we were both 20 years old, and he has been involved, of course, in the Christian Coalition and his Faith and Freedom Group. I'm wondering if the X factor is Ralph Reed and the Christian evangelical vote that may get that galvanized and come up and, and save these Republicans in the last minute. So I'm thinking that could be the X factor. Okay, Craig, and you get the final, final, final award. Thank you. I, I think uh, I will just add to that. I think the, the criminal uh, surge in Atlanta might 
uh, have suburban uh, folks thinking twice about voting Democratic. Okay. Well, we'll have to leave it there, gentlemen. Enjoy your uh, New Year's, most likely not in Times Square, I would imagine, since it's closed. So uh, that won't be happening at all. We'd want to go there anyway. But hey, guys, uh, thanks so much for joining us. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens on uh, January 5th and 6th are going to be uh, quite the days in this country as far as that uh, runoff election. And then obviously uh, what, what we have going on in terms of uh, Mike Pence and uh, certification of the election or not uh, on that day. So guys, uh, appreciate it again. Thanks so much and enjoy your New Year's. And this is Joe Concha filling in for Sean Hannity. Uh, we got Peter Navarro uh, coming up in the uh, next hour as well. That, sh- that should be pretty fun. And your calls as well, 800-941-7326. We open up the phone lines next on The Sean Hannity Show. Who the hell chose this music? I feel like I'm on the love boat. 1977? Where's Isaac? I can use a drink. Who was the other guy? Gopher? Yeah, Gopher. The best was Doc. Right. Because he was the doctor on the ship, which, you know, is that really that hard? I'm talking pre-pandemic. Of course, this was the 1970s. But basically, the guy got to, like, hook up with, like, a different passenger or multiple every cruise. That was basically his job. I mean, you can't beat that. And then, you know, I'm I'm dating myself here. I was very young at the time. But Saturday nights, ABC was Love Boat at nine and then Fantasy Island at 10. Where, again, Mr. Rourke, I mean, what a job, right? Basically makes... People's fantasies come true. It was invariably of the uh, female variety. And then half the time, like, you know, it would be a woman like, I'm just looking for a man to help fulfill me in life. And like, a rourke would work his way into it every time. Ricardo Monteblanc, white suit and the uh, tattoo, the plane, the plane. You sound very envious. Uh, yes, that is envy. Thank you, Jason. The, uh, the What do I call you? The producer, sound guy? What, what's your official Board title, up. Jason? Board op. Yeah, I'm okay. not important enough to have a producer title. Well, we're going to get you a promotion by the time we're done with this show. There's no question about that. Hey, let's take a call, shall we? I want to go down to the Gamecock State, and that is South Carolina. It's Bruce. I have a feeling not Springsteen. Bruce, go ahead. Uh, big Springsteen fan, Bo. Hey, thanks for taking the call. Always enjoy reading, hearing, and uh, seeing you. So I've got oh, a question about these runoffs that I've been, I haven't heard anybody address since Election Day, okay? Right. I don't understand. I don't understand why McConnell and 48 Republican senators haven't been all over the results in Georgia to contest the, you know, the votes that, you know, may not be legal votes. So, for example, Trump law so far, they're saying Trump lost by about 12,000 votes. 12, but yeah. Purdue, but Purdue fell short of getting uh, over the 50 percent mark in Georgia by only 14,000 votes. Right. That's the thing. And there, there's a lot of these things that you can't quite add up, Bruce, <laughs> in terms of this election. Like, how do you win Ohio by eight points? But then all those states right around it that kind of go in line with Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh-uh, uh, go the other way. And of course, all of those states started counting those votes only on Election Day. Like, why couldn't they vote all the do what Florida did? Count all those votes up until Election Day. Then you have a result that night instead of five days later. Continuing the mission of saving America as we return to the Sean Hannity Show. I do my Scott Shannon says America turns into like seven syllables. America. Old Scott Shannon now anyway. I probably shouldn't look that up just because I grew up listening to him. I mean that more as a compliment. It's great that he's still you hear the voice. It's it's awesome. WPLJ New York. Uh, Hey, we got some. uh, 
Well, you know, I got to say, this is probably breaking news, perhaps. But it turns out, now you've heard, we talked about this earlier in the show, but it bears repeating. The Ilaria Baldwin controversy. Now you're aware of this, right? Ilaria Baldwin, her real name is actually Hillary Baldwin. Uh, Ilaria Baldwin, that version says that she was born in Mallorca, Spain, which is like this beautiful kind of resortish uh, place over there in uh, my home country. Well, uh, it turns out that she wasn't born in Spain. She was born in Boston by her own admission, even though for years she has said that she didn't move to America until she was 19. Uh, she, her grandparents, for instance, are from Nebraska, just, just to kind of put this all in, in perspective. And since it's a bald one, we have to talk about this. Well, it gets better, ladies and gentlemen, because it turns out that Alec Baldwin used to go by a different name as well. I can't make this stuff up. I'm serious. Alec Baldwin, this is according to the New York Post, page six, so it must be true. Uh, he used to go by Alex Baldwin. Uh, Alexander. That's Baldwin. interesting. Interesting. It is, isn't it, Alec? Do we have Alec on the phone? Oh, he's just hung up. Well, that, that would have been fun to uh, talk about. But yeah, Alec Baldwin used to be Alexander Baldwin or even Zandy Baldwin, again, according to page six in the New York Post. Why can't people just keep their normal names? This is amazing. Anyway, so with Alaria, she was actually on the uh, Today Show just to tell you. And again, I don't understand for the life of me. And Jason, the board op, maybe you could uh, weigh in on this. Why anybody would fake their ethnic background does it make them more interesting does that mean they're more cultured well you got a theory on this I, I we talked about this i i don't see what the upside is to this because you're not going to be able to get away with this forever you, you there's no, no way there's it's pointless why don't we play the clip of uh alaria hillary uh, baldwin on the uh, today show wondering how you say the word cucumber in english we have very few ingredients. We have tomatoes. We have, um, how do you say it? Cucumber? Cucumbers. We have... <laughs> now, look, you got to go the full boat there, all right? You can't just say, how do you say in English? You got to say, como se dice uh, cucumber in English, right? You, you, If you want to be Spanish, you got to go the full Spanish and not bounce back and forth. And that is the worst accent we have heard in some time and can we just play this one more time it's it's just too good hillary clinton in selma alabama as a candidate and not one person in the crowd says hey wait a minute that's not your real voice go ahead play it. i don't feel no ways tired i come too far <laughs> from where i started from illinois chair of all the mayors in the country mayor palmer huh. from trenton new oh. jersey <laughs> now she said no one said the road would be easy the road from chicago to i guess little rock to no, i can wait she went to school in massachusetts real but massachusetts to little rock arkansas and we have somebody from arkansas and little rock literally uh, joining us in just a moment i bet you guess uh, you could very well guess who that is and then to washington dc then to uh, chappaqua new york right uh, that's the road. It never went through, you know, Selma, Alabama, where she's trying to sound like she's from. Anyway, let's bring in uh, the great governor, uh, the great Mike Huckabee, who I personally request every time I fill in on this show because he's the only person who gets my humor. Governor, how are you? Uh, the name is Miguel. I just want to be <laughs> real clear about that joke. Uh, I decided Jose, that, Jose uh, Concha filling in for, uh, let's see, Juan Hannity. 
<laughs> oh, that's great, Miguel. Uh, so, uh, como, uh, uh, let's see, como esta? <laughs> you know, I, think I throw you off with that? French in high school because all the, uh, the girls were pretty in the French class. Um, Smart. So I never really learned Spanish, but, you know, hey, I might have as much heritage as she did, and why not invoke it and go ahead and, and be a cool dude at the party? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Uh, so what's your read on these Georgia Senate runoffs? Because, you know, I, I hear from uh, enough uh, Trump supporters uh, on the Twitter, social media uh, that say, you know what, stop the fraud. And, you know, what happened in Georgia when the, the president lost by 12,000? No, he didn't. And certain votes weren't counted and, and all these things. And you just get the feeling that there may be just enough people uh, in the peach state that may say, you know what, uh, if my vote didn't count the first time, why should I bother going ahead with it a second time? And I, I don't know if people understand that if, if I think maybe they do, maybe they just don't care or they're just trying to you know, make a point. But again, if Democrats control the Senate and the House and the White House, you are talking about the expansion of the Senate, the expansion of the Supreme Court and an elimination of the Electoral College. Just those three things alone change the country fundamentally for real this time forever. Well, and look what happens to our relationship with China, where we'll surrender to them again. Our uh, Iran, where we'll go ahead and send them some more pallets of cash. Our Israel, where we'll uh, make them sit and wait, and we'll turn them the other way and, and destroy what has been a complete realignment of the Middle East. Not to think about, let's re-regulate businesses so that they are choking and won't be able to hire people back or raise taxes and make it so that people can't hire individuals and give them raises. There's a lot at stake. And if you're a Second Amendment person, as I am, uh, you got to be concerned that uh, these guys could run the table and essentially destroy basic fundamental American rights. So I hope the people of Georgia understand it's not just about them. It's about the country. It's about the last firewall we're going to have to keep the country from turning into a Bernie Sanders AOC socialist uh, playground. And we just can't afford that. It's not just that David Perdue and Kelly Leffler would help the Senate uh, maintain a Republican majority, but both John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock are far left of center. These aren't moderate Georgia senators who might vote with Republicans from time to time. They're going to be Bernie Sanders acolytes, the both of them. Well, and we're talking to Governor Mike Huckabee. Yeah, I, I just wonder, Governor, as far as the way that Mitch McConnell is going about this in the Senate, and, and I get what he's doing, right? He's saying, okay, we could go ahead with the $2,000 checks, but we also want Section 230 repealed. We also want to look into voting irregularities, voter fraud, whatever you want to call it, in the last election. So he's basically trying to couple all this together. It's what the president wants. It's what a lot of the president's supporters want. But the, the problem is that when you make something more complicated like this, should he just go ahead? I guess what I'm trying to say is three clean bills, $2,000 checks, one bill, 230 repeal, the other voter fraud uh, investigations and another, and just go about it that way. So at least you could get Purdue and Loeffler on the record as voting for the $2,000 because it appears to be hurting him right now in Georgia. I, I think I agree with that, Joe, because most people are not looking at a big picture. They're simply looking at whether it's 600 or $2,000 for displaced workers because of COVID. Certainly, they need to be careful that they're not giving $2,000 to people who have been getting the government paycheck because they never missed a check the whole time COVID's been going on. Uh, I, I've said for a long time, every public official who helped make the decision to put people out of business and create the lockdowns should not get a paycheck until all these business owners can open up their restaurants and their salons 
and their spas and their gyms. And when they can open up, then the government people get their paychecks. But the one group of people in America who have not lost a dime out of COVID are government workers, government employees. And there's something that is just wrong about that. Well, speaking of governors and uh, and government employees, as far as the vaccine is concerned, Moderna, uh, Moderna, excuse me, or or Pfizer is what we're seeing. Uh, millennial uh, lawmakers, for instance, like an Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, get the vaccine, uh, or maybe someone, maybe perhaps uh, a little bit older, but still below that Mendoza line, so to speak, uh, on the on the GOP side, uh, Marco Rubio uh, get the vaccine. And I get what they were doing in this sense, where they're saying, okay, it's okay to take this. They're trying to tell the public, and if we can get it, you can get it, type of thing. But that seems to be upsetting uh, a lot of people because it seems like, wait a minute, uh, we maybe if you're younger, you could say take it, but also make the point that healthcare workers obviously get it first, nursing home patients, people with underlying conditions, you know, and then down the line to teachers and, and grocery shop workers, people that work in food plants, uh, all those people should get it first before uh, perhaps some of these folks in Congress, which maybe they had good intentions, but the optics are horrible. Oh, I think it's a horrible thing, period. They're supposed to be servants to the people. Let the people stand in line in front of them. They ought to be the first ones to say, please, everybody else. And plus, here's the reason they shouldn't be getting it. The first people to get the vaccine are supposed to be essential workers. There's not 15 people in America who think that Congress is all that essential. So for (laughs) heaven's sakes, uh, show a little humility, Congress. Nobody has any confidence in you. Nobody likes you all that much. Uh, So don't take the vaccine in front of an ambulance driver or a policeman or a uh, ICU uh, nurse, stand back there and take it, you know, when the last people are getting it. And if you really want to show an example, take your mother and let her get the vaccine and let us see how confident you are. But don't jump up there in front of everybody when you're 29 or 30 years old and try to pretend that you're doing it to set an example. We're not that stupid. And we're talking to Governor Mike Huckabee. Uh, you did a great uh, interview recently, and it was it was nice to see where you have uh, a Hollywood actor and a big one, one of the highest paid Hollywood actors that are out there. But he was willing to sit down with you and and talk about his family and and talk about his new book, uh, which obviously is uh, called Green Lights. Uh, and that was Matthew McConaughey. And and you don't see a prominent Republican like you talk to somebody from Hollywood anymore. The Hollywood person, I'm not going to agree to that. And Mike Huckabee, uh, you know, uh, Fox News, uh, TBN, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. He, he did it. And it was one of the more thoughtful conversations that I've seen. Do you think he has a future in politics? And when everybody is so tribal right now and so confrontational and so conflict driven, at least it seems that way on Twitter, hopefully it's not like that in real life. Uh, does he have a path somewhere as somebody who just runs, maybe not so much as a Republican or a Democrat, but as a pragmatist? You know, I really think he might. Uh, what a delightful human being. And I so respected that he was willing to come on my show because so many people in his business won't do it. And they're very just blunt about it. You know, we can't even get licensing for a lot of the music we want to do on the show because the, the artist or the, the uh, songwriter says, no, not on the Huckabee show. And it's, it's up for sale. I, I mean, that should be illegal to say we will sell the product to a liberal, but we will not sell our product. And even if you pay the royalties, you still can't use our music. What was so refreshing about Matthew McConaughey? Uh, first of all, he lives in Texas, not in Hollywood. So I think he still has his head on straight. Uh, but he's the same person that he was when he grew up. Um, he he has a great sense of gratitude for who he is and what he's been able to do, but he doesn't take himself that seriously. And he does have a wonderful story. His life is great. 
his book is compelling, and you read it and you think, hey, this is a regular guy. You know, he's not somebody who has his head so far up in the stratosphere like an Alec Baldwin or Alex or whoever he is this week. Uh, <laughs> he's just a down-to-earth, great guy, and you'd say, I'd really like to have this guy over for a barbecue sandwich, and he would actually be able to appreciate it. And we're talking to Governor Mike Huckabee. He is the host of Huckabee on TBN. That's Saturday nights at 8 and 11 p.m., Sunday night, 9 p.m., also obviously, like me, a Fox News contributor. Uh, I'm I'm curious, uh, Governor, as we wrap this uh, puppy up, do you do New Year's resolutions? Is that a thing that you learn, you know, when, you know, you're something like 46, 47 years old now? Do you just say, hey, this isn't working out, I'm not going to even bother? Or do you actually try to set a goal at the beginning of every year and do you actually stick to it? You know, my resolution is not to have formal resolutions, but the other resolution is to be able to still have a pulse and be walking vertically a year from now. Uh, Because once you get to my age, you know, it's really just when you wake up and you say, I got a pulse, I can stand up. Hey, this is a great day. Let's keep it going. We've got a streak going on here. So that's my resolution. I can't wait till my bar comes down to I just put my uh, thumb on my the edge of my wrist and say, hey, it's going to be a good day. I'm alive. Oh, Governor Mike Huckabee, thanks so much for joining us. You're my favorite guest. And uh, hopefully we'll be on together on the other Fox News channel uh, sooner rather than later. And you have a great New Year's in 2021, which can't possibly be worse than this craptastic year we went through. Thank you, Joe. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. More on the Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-7326 is your phone number, your calls, and Peter Navarro on the other side of the hour. That's next. I want Depeche Mode and Brian Adams next hour. <laughs> Kidding, of course. Uh, let's go to uh, Jason, the soundboard op guy. Uh, flip a coin. Uh, Deborah in Georgia, because I want to talk about Georgia. Deborah, go ahead. Um, Hi, Joe. I'm calling to urge with great urgency my fellow Republican Georgians to go vote. The stakes are way too high to sit this one out for any reason. You have an obligation to all the other states that can't vote. Um, We need to do the right thing, the patriotic thing. It doesn't matter about the fraud. Uh, Last time, we just need to do the right thing and go vote. Everyone, if you have to crawl, you need to go vote. That's right, Deborah. Uh, always uh, get involved in these things, certainly with uh, such high stakes. Uh, you got 15 seconds to answer this question. When you talk to your neighbors, right, you talk to your friends, is anybody saying, nope, I'm sitting this out because I'm, I, I want to make a point? Or is everybody saying, I don't like what happened uh, in November, but you know what? The stakes are too high. No, I, you know, I must have really intelligent, informed friends because everybody's on fire down here, just like we were for President Trump. Um, there's a lot more people than, than I think everybody thinks that. Okay. That's good to hear. And Deborah, sorry, we had to cut you off there and sorry about your Falcons. I mean, can you blow another game? I mean, every freaking fourth quarter. All right. Joe Concha filling in for the great Sean Hannity back with Peter Navarro on the other side of the hour and much more in just a moment. Joe Concha filling in for Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity show on this new year's Eve, Eve, as it were. You may know me from Fox News. I'm a contributor there. I'll be on Hannity's show tonight, ironically enough, without Sean Hannity. Uh, I believe Tammy Bruce will be filling in in the 9 o'clock Eastern hour. Also, uh, an opinion columnist for The Hill on the media and politics front and a frequent guest and friend of the show, as it were, of this particular program. I want to introduce our next guest. And I always 
enjoy watching and as a media observer, uh, Peter Navarro in, in any interview, because he just seems like the type of guy that you have a scotch with at some point in your life, because he's a conversationalist uh, just as much as, well, in other words, you see a lot of administration officials, and I'm talking any administration, they sound like politicians, or they sound like, boy, they rehearse this in the mirror a hundred times, and Peter just gives it to you straight and is unapologetic about it. He, of course, is the assistant to the president and director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy. Peter, welcome to the program. How are you? Thank you for that high praise from the master, Joe. I always uh, enjoy your uh, keen skewering of the media. So <laughs> let's have some fun today. All right. Kumbaya. I love it. Hey, uh, you have a, and I, I hope you don't mind me sharing this so much, but um, you, you're, you've written an op-ed and it's titled, They Stole It and It Wasn't Fair and Square. I'll, I'll give the opening graph, uh, which which really brings us home and then and let you kind of expand on it uh, a bit sure. and then play maybe devil's advocate with you uh, for a little bit. It starts out, the presidential election was likely stolen from President Donald J. Trump by the Democratic Party. That was a key conclusion of my recently released report the Immaculate Deception, a playoff the Immaculate Reception, of course, Steelers and Raiders in 1972. That's a conversation for another time. And a new study out by the eminent statistician, and that is Dr. John Lott, brings damning new evidence of the veracity of that claim. So I, I, the, the sentiment out there among Trump supporters, Mr. Navarro, is that Joe Biden is legitimate. Something like 3% of Trump supporters believe that Joe Biden was legitimately elected. That's according to a CNBC poll that came out not long after the election. So the sentiment is that something very nefarious and bad happened here. The problem to this point, obviously, has been in the courts where it's been hard to get any victories uh, on that front. So I'll, I'll let you take it from here in terms of making your argument. Uh, and, and what happens now between, because we're now at December 30th, uh, inauguration day for Joe Biden uh, is a little over three weeks away. So uh, what changes going forward at this point when you compare it to what's happened after the election and in the courts? Go ahead. All right, Joe, let me, let me lay out what I think is the uh, election irregularity chessboard, and then let's, let's end that with what kind of moves that can be made to prevent what may be an illegal and illegitimate president from being sworn in. Okay, okay. so my background, I think you know this, uh, Harvard PhD in economics. I, I've done a lot of legal uh, writings as well, so I know my way around court cases and things like that. So well, what I did was sift through literally thousands of documents, court cases, affidavits, declarations, all sorts of firsthand accounts. And I came up with essentially a, a, a one matrix kind of worth a thousand uh, court cases, right? So think of it this way, Joe. You got the six battleground states, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. What each of them share in common um, is very, very razor-thin uh, Biden-alleged victory margins. And these are the states that propel him to victory in the Electoral College. Okay, then in the, and then in the, uh, the um, row, what I found sifting through all this research was an extraordinary uh, six dimensions of election irregularities. You know, some of it's outright fraud. That's dimension number one. But you also had ballot mishandling, things like naked ballots, uh, bad procedures for curing. You had all sorts of due process uh, files. This was, for example, the indefinitely confined voter controversy uh, in Wisconsin. There's all manner of equal protection violations, the worst probably being how observers, poll watchers who are Republican were treated 
uh, in the centers of theft in, um, in Wisconsin and Michigan, which was Dane and Wayne counties. Uh, you had uh, some significant voting machine irregularities, not just with the Minion, uh, but the Novus and Agilis. Uh, systems as well. And then there's just some strange statistical anomalies, which this new paper from, from John Lott really uh, highlights, where you have uh, precincts where you have more than 100% uh, turnout. So so that matrix, you look at that, I urge everybody to just go look at that report, just look at that matrix, and you can see that the number of illegal, potentially illegal votes, Joe, Here's the punchline. The number of potentially illegal votes in each of those six battleground states dwarfs the victory margin that Biden had. Okay, so enter here. What what uh, what defines an illegal vote uh, for, in terms of your in the context of of your report? Is it that signature uh, doesn't match uh, that votes were received after a deadline? Just define that for me, so so the listeners so let me, uh, can let me work along. you through the six dimensions because because there's so many ways that can happen. But for example, with outright fraud, uh, you have uh, dead voters and ghost voters. A ghost voter is somebody who voted from an address that they don't actually uh, no longer live at, right? So that would, that would be uh, fraud. A ballot mishandling uh, illegal vote would be, for example, a, a naked ballot comes in without an outer envelope with a signature on, um, and it gets, uh, gets counted. A um, process foul would be, for example, uh, in Pennsylvania where uh, the Democrat counties basically allowed uh, ballot curing, but the Republicans didn't, and it was a shady uh, deal by the um, Democrat Secretary of State there, uh, Bookfair. Uh, and then the equal protect. I mean, I could go on and on, but but that's, equal protection, voting machine irregularities, and significant uh, statistical yeah, anomalies yeah, and, are, and, are the other three. Mm-hmm. And you raise a good point because one of the big findings of my immaculate deception report was there's no, like, silver bullet here. There's no crack in none of that BS. It, it's death literally by a thousand cuts, or more precisely, these six uh, dimensions um, of irregularity. So, you know, I look at that just in the cold, clear light of day as, a, as an economist, as, as, a, as a legal scholar, and it's like there's no question that, that there's a high likelihood that this was just stolen flat out. Now, enter stage right John Lott. He's, he's a famous... Um, academician uh, who um, wrote one of the definitive studies on Second Amendment issues, but he uh, he made a run at this, and, and he had um, two very interesting uh, findings um, where he was trying you know trying to uncover fraud. And, and Georgia, in my report, I described it literally as the cesspool. It's probably the worst because it hits every one of these dimensions of fraud. And so one of the things he did, which is kind of clever, we, we in academia we, we kind of admire this kind of thing when we see it, um, he compared adjacent precincts in Fulton County, Georgia, which is the Atlanta area, um, and for their voting behavior. And, and the null hypothesis was you shouldn't observe any differences. But in the precincts where there was allegations of fraud, you actually had a significant statistical difference, which suggests that as many as 11,000 votes uh, were fraudulent there. And 11,300, to be exact, is just about the victory margin that Biden has currently. Um, in Georgia, yeah, it was about 12,000 votes. Yeah. So, Peter, and question the for you, then, is, is the... Let, let me okay. Just say the second uh, I was just going to ask real quick. Too. 
Yeah, it, excess mm-hmm. voters, like the presence of voters, more voters than you would otherwise think you should have, that's like a, a sure sign of fraud. And he found about 300,000 of those across the six battlegrounds. It's interesting. And we're talking to Peter Navarro uh, of the Trump administration and, and obviously uh, a Harvard-educated uh, economist who, who put together uh, this particular document of uh, six different statistical uh, and, and other. It just It's basically just a checklist of uh, outright voter fraud, ballot mishandling, contestable process fouls, equal protection clause violations, voting machine irregularities, significant statistical anomalies in states like Georgia and and, uh, looks like uh, Nevada uh, have all six of these checked off. Other states like Michigan and Wisconsin have five of six or Arizona for that matter. I guess my question is, given have you provided this document to the president's legal team which is the president's legal team so i would imagine there, there's top men on that uh why can't this then be transferred into a successful win in a court because at this point uh the the wins uh, aren't coming in in that regard and that seems to be the only place that this election can be overturned well let, let's segue to kind of what what can be done you know what are the final uh, bullets in the chamber That's that can be used on this so in georgia um, this is curious, Joe. Uh, five out of the six states have Republican-controlled legislatures in both houses. So in Georgia, for example, uh, you have uh, a governor in Kemp, a secretary of state in Raffensperger, both Republicans and a state legislature, who are capable tomorrow of doing what I believe must be done, which is to postpone that January 5th election uh, for Senate runoff uh, until at least February to sort all this stuff. So so putting pressure on those uh, bodies to do the right thing, which is, is to take action at the state level, um, is one key option. The same holds true um, in Arizona, where you have uh, Ducey sitting there and, and a margin that is, that is only 10,000 votes. Uh, where you have uh, 10 times that possibly illegal. So, so the, the bank shot here really um, is state action. And so um, we're mounting a, a, you know, a public pressure campaign, essentially, a public education campaign in my case, because I'm just like, hey, look at this. Here's the thing, Joe. It's like we're supposed to be the greatest democracy in world history, this, this side of Athens and, and ancient Rome, right? But if we can't, mm-hmm. If we run an election, you're, you're a media guy. If, if, if perception's reality in the media, Joe. And if we've got close to half of the American people thinking that there's something shady about what just happened, that's, that's, <laughs> that's not a good harbinger for, for a solid republic. It's more like going to be a 50-50 cold civil war um, that's going to be partisan and nothing's going to get done and, and people are going to start hating each other. So... Well, that's true. I mean, you look at the last two elections, Peter. I mean, you, the 2016, two-thirds of Democratic voters believed that the Russians, forget interfered, actually changed voter tallies. Yeah. And they believe this. And now, obviously, in this election, the number is infinitely higher, uh, 90, 93 percent of, of Trump supporters saying that, that Joe Biden uh, didn't win fair square. And that's scary because any election then moving forward, half the country, uh, depending on who wins or loses, thinks the other guy or gal cheated. And that that's, that's the most dangerous part about this. And this is why we have to uh, fix these things. I mean, in 
Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania alone to not count those mail-in ballots until election day, and you don't get a winner in those states till five days later, that only raises the suspicion that people have around it. You should get calls like we did in Florida and Ohio on election night, and this way you don't have all that time for people to to to, to say, wait a minute, something bad's going on here, and, and, and that's why I think ultimately this stuff needs to be fixed, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you the last uh, 60 seconds. I'm sorry. It's, the time went pretty fast. Yes, sir. I, look, we, we need to get to the bottom of this. And the first thing that needs to happen is that Georgia election needs to get postponed. The next thing that it needs to happen is a special counsel to investigate this. And I think we need to do this um, as, a, as a people and as a republic, not in a partisan way. I mean, this, this thing stinks to high heaven. And I would just simply say, Joe, read my report, but, but the folks the handy eyes go out and read the reports on the internet. Look at the lot study. I can tell you that there's going to be some additional statistical analysis coming out in the next few days that's going to further reinforce that. And, and this is this is our republic at stake. I mean, this is much. This is a national security issue at this point, and we got to start behaving. And the media, <laughs> the media at some point is going to wake up and have to cover what's the biggest story in in, in American history uh, so far. Um, they're they're ignoring it. Uh, we, we've seen a lot of that uh, going around lately. If the, the Hunter Biden uh, handling of that story in October and, and now, yeah. obviously, is any indication. But uh, Peter, unfortunately, we're we're out of time, and uh, we're actually wow five twenty. So we're let's see. I'm doing the uh, math on this one. You're a statistician, so you'll appreciate this. Six hours and forty minutes plus twenty four, oh, 30 hours about away from this uh, horrific year being over. I'll give you ten seconds. Final word. Any New Year's resolution for you? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, let's have uh, let's have a, a republic that has free and fair elections uh, in 2021, and let's start by uh, getting a good count, a legal count before inauguration day. Well, that certainly beats mine to do. Give me an amen, today, Joe. So. Come on, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, first conversation, hopefully not the last. We really appreciate it. Great time. And this is Joe Concha filling in for the great Sean Hannity. Back with more in just a moment. Oh, I do love this story. Joe Conchin for Sean Hannity. Uh, so, <laughs> Michael Belikos, who is, you know, a guy who's been around for a long time, if you watch uh, the news going back to like when you're growing up and when you listen to him as a presidential historian, you know, he had some gravitas, right? But now, you know, like everybody else over the last four years is basically just you know, gone the full TDS, which of course is Trump derangement syndrome. And again, if you suffer from Trump derangement syndrome for more than four hours, see your psychiatrist. That's a playoff of something else about a pill by, uh, by Pfizer. But, but the point is that here's what he tweeted today, uh, quoting Andrew Johnson, born today, 1808, insisted that when he died in 1875, he should be buried, swaddled in an American flag with his head on a copy of the Constitution. All right, pretty good so far. But as lame duck president leaving office, even Andrew Johnson never tweeted heroic videos about himself. It was the 1800s. There was no video. There was no tweeting. Oh, great, great. I mean, when you, I, I, I get that Twitter, you know, you can't edit after the fact, but I think you got to kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of like if you're in an argument, you know, a debate, I should say, uh, with your wife, a polite one, of course, and you really want to say something that you know you're going to end up on the couch or maybe worse, the shed where I've ended up in. You you count to 10 and breathe. And here, you wait before you send a tweet like that. Well, you may have heard that uh, 
Ken Jennings is uh, in the running to be the next Jeopardy host. Like a record amount of money. And look, some people, and I'm a media guy right from the Hill, and you see me on Fox talking about media all the time. But I I venture into this uh, area of the pool as well as far as entertainment's concerned. And Jeopardy is basically entertainment, right? You can make the argument the greatest game show of all time. Uh, Well, Jennings was a great guest, right? Because he kept winning. Not because he was this great personality or anything like that. It was just the run that he went on. So the fact that he's now going to possibly be the host, I don't know. You're either a good guest or a good host, but you're rarely both. Like me. That's right. I said it. Wait, somebody else says that. But anyway, the point is that Ken Jennings now has to apologize for, yep, tweets that were very, let's put it this way, um, insulting towards uh, conservatives. Right. And, and here's the thing. Again, you cannot have it. We, we saw it before Josh Hawley. Right. And he was talking about how on January 6th, uh, he's going to vote against the, the what's going to be certified on that day and Pence over oversees it and so so on. Right. So you have that going on. So Hawley says, all right, you know what? Nope. Uh, I am not going to affirm the Biden victory uh, in terms of the Electoral College results. All right. He's going to challenge the Biden electors to be specific. Okay, so here's the thing. He tweets this. Hawley does. And then Walmart writes back and calls him a sore loser and says, enjoy your two hour debate. Not like, you know, a person that works at Walmart, the actual official Twitter feed of Walmart and whatever 23 year old kid is put in charge of that, I guess, writes this back to millions of followers. And and now this thing's gone viral, of course. Uh, So, again, the worst business model you could possibly have is insulting half the country, dismissing them. And, and that's what happened with Walmart. And now we're seeing with Ken Jennings in terms of, look, it, Twitter will destroy half the careers of people in this country by the time we're done. I mean, it, it, you could go back and look at anybody's Twitter feed, except for mine, of course. It's mostly the pictures, of the kids and you know your occasional joke, mostly. Uh, but again, if you're in the public eye, you got to think about what you're writing, because that is a bullhorn. Whatever you put on there, it lives forever. And even if you delete it after effects, someone's got a screenshot somewhere. But I say, honestly, John O'Hurley should be your next Jeopardy host. Do we have any audio, uh, Jason, the board op of the uh, of, of the great uh, Mr. Peterman from Seinfeld? I'm, I'm Jay Peterman. <laughs> then in the distance, I okay, there he is. the bulls. And I began running as mm. fast as I could. Fortunately, I was wearing my Italian Capto Oxfords. (laughs) Sophisticated, yet different, without making a huge fuss about it. Rich, dark brown calfskin leather, matching linen vamp. Men's hole in half sizes, 7 through 13, price $135. There's your boy. That is your guy. He's got the voice, he's got the look, and even if he isn't intelligent, I mean, he sounds it. I, I, I assume that he is. I mean, was Trebek like truly, truly intelligent or do you just have the answers in front of him? I have a feeling it was a combination of both. And probably, you know, if you do that show as long as Alex did, you know, the, the greatest game show host of all time and his battle against stage four uh, pancreatic cancer was, uh, you know, that's the type of thing. There is no stage five. And the fact that he worked as long as he did and, and gutted it out and and tried to inspire people, uh, you know, just he, he will be missed in, in a horrible year of so many people and so much uh, celebrity death. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, it's just it, it, remarkable. I mean, Don Wells died today. Don Wells. Who's Don Wells? Marianne. Gilligan's Island. 82 years old. 
you know, and, and the debate, it's one of the great debates of all time, quite frankly, you know, Bo or Luke or Ginger or Marianne. And, you know, Ginger is supposed to be the celebrity, the aesthetically pleasing one. And she was, don't get me wrong, but you ask any, any boy growing up when I did uh, between the ages of 13 and 19 and Marianne wins 94% of your vote. I'm just saying. So she passed away today. Boy, I'm ending this thing on a depressing note. Why don't we take some calls, kids, shall we? Uh, let's go to Carl in uh, South Carolina, the Gamecock State. Carl, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Outstanding, man. Just I'm getting ready for uh, New Year's of doing nothing in my home, I staring know. at my TV. No, I'm with you. I'm with not even you. a college I'm game on that night. I'm sorry? There's not even a college football game on that night. I mean, you would think that, that, that the geniuses that, that run college football in the networks will put a game at least for oh, beyond to watch. No, nothing. Army, West Virginia, well, 4 I'm, o'clock. I'm and it ends. And I'm stuck with Ryan Seacrest. I'm a Giants fan, ahead, so I, I don't do well down here. But um, um, God bless America well, and God bless President Trump. And my point I'd like to make is I think uh, sure. The turtle and the Republicans are making a huge mistake with this with this two thousand uh, dollar stimulus because I my math everybody I'm you know I'm a retired lineman I don't get math but I understand people's thinking and the way I see it is in Georgia which is it is the critical whether which way we go. The Republicans are going to look bad in this because McConnell is shutting down that 2000 and it's putting it's actually making people angry because everything's based on 2019 taxes. Nobody knows what happened in 2020 as far as work. And, you know, we have the unemployment and all that. But there's a lot of people work three jobs, two jobs, all that. They're not in in this formula, and I think it's a great statistical financial mistake for them to shut yeah, it he, down. Did, I was about to say, he, he's there. too cute by half on this one, right? Because he, he's saying, okay, no, I want the 2000 but I also want to have in the same bill repeal Section 230, and we're also going to look into uh, voter irregularities in the 2020 election. And, and by stacking that all in, that, that's what preventing this thing from going forward. I say do three clean bills, separate the three out, at least get the 2000 passed. And if you could get the other ones passed, then great. But Section 230, yeah, people want that replaced, no question, or repealed. But let, let's not you know sink this thing, because we, we were talking to, to uh, some folks, including uh, the gentleman who runs the uh, Tafalgar Group uh, last hour. Hour, and and he was saying that there's been a significant shift in polling uh, in Georgia as a result of not passing uh, this 2000. I mean, it's, it's it's something that people say 600. That's too low. Like the president said, he's the one who initiated all this. And 2000 is a better number. But uh, again, uh, Republicans, I get the Republican argument in, in the sense where the unemployment rates are 6.7 percent right now, which if you told me this at the beginning of this pandemic, that we would be at the end of the year, considering where we were in March, what was it, 14, 15%, that we had this down back below 7%. I mean, the economy is doing fairly well. There are people struggling in certain areas, but particularly if you work in, say, the, the restaurant business, for example. So is the 2000 being targeted to people that need it? Probably not in some cases. No. So I get the Republican argument, but right now you got six days until a special election. And if you lose it, you lose the Senate, then the House is in Democratic hands, then you have the Oval 
most likely going to, to Joe Biden, save for some uh, legal Hail Mary. So that that's where we're at at this point. And the country will fundamentally change. I don't think people understand this quite enough, that Democrats will push to abolish the Electoral College. When was the last time a president, Republican candidate, won the Electoral College and the popular vote? Anybody want to take a guess? I mean, it, we're, we're talking about 2004 and George W. Bush. And then before that, you got to go all the way back to 1988. In other words, the Electoral College is kind of the thing that, that, that keeps uh, Republicans from getting elected or getting elected at this point. And then if you expand the Supreme Court, there goes your conservative majority there. And then if you expand the Senate, that's four seats, two for Puerto Rico, two for D.C., which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Why don't we just make, I don't know, Jacksonville a state while we're at it? D.C.'s a state. I mean, it's all a ploy just to get more power. And that's what we're seeing. And and I, I, I get people who are saying, well, you know, got to make a point, got to make a stand, you know, stop the fraud. Well, then you're going to hand the whole country over to the Democrats. You may never get power back again, considering the fundamental changes that we're looking at at this point. So I don't know. I'm ranting enough. Let's go to Joe on Long Island, popular name around here. Joe, go ahead. Hey, Joe, how are you? Happy New Year. Hey, man. A big fan. Happy New Year. A fan of yours. Your show, uh, I, don't, I don't see it. My wife loves it, too, and then we didn't hear you no more. At 6 o'clock, we started listening to you. But yeah, that's I don't stuck. know what happened there. I, that's probably another story. But listen, Cor I guess Corporate I, thing above my head and my pay grade. But go ahead, Joe. Ah, well, you were fantastic. But uh, fighting, I guess he'll be comfortable in Times Square. It'll be just like his rallies. It'll be empty because no way he got 80 million votes. You know the Trump-looking creed, uh, right? I'm a Trump-looking. We never surrendered republic to communists. Freedom at all costs. Now, if Pence gets up there and denies the, on January 6th, if he denies those state electors, he will be a hero. And Trump-lookings will walk through fire and over glass for that man in 2024. If he doesn't, no Trump-looking will come out, Joe. And Senator yeah. Hawley... He's a hero to us right now. I will never shop at Walmart again. Forget it. And every Republican Senate and Congressman and Democrat patriot should join him. Because what McConnell did, Joe, he turned, he's a turncoat in a deep state because we had hope. Because the state electors in six of those swing states, they sent Trump, looking, uh, Trump electors there, too. In those six swing states, they wouldn't, and and he and he came out the next morning and says the electors have spoken. He cut the right out the legs right out from under us, McConnell. Why would he do that? You know, Joe. If if Pence does that, I just want to be clear of what happens from then. The House and the Senate have to vote on doing so, and you need a majority vote. And if there's no Democrat that's going to vote with Republicans on that in terms of overturning that. And then McConnell, as you mentioned, isn't going to, there's going to be Republicans that don't vote for that either. If it somehow gets to the Senate, which it won't. So even if Pence does that, that doesn't overturn the election. But Joe, you know what I mean? Goes to a yeah. debate and, and we, the public, we need to see this and then I should be open. And I think Giuliani and Jenna Ellis get to present their case that they can bring in witnesses. If I'm not at that debate, no, I get it. But what Democrat is going to go along with it? I mean, you see how they, they stick together on everything. So you, you need some to actually flip. Well, no, right? they got to, we, oh, why it has to be two thirds. At this point, it doesn't matter. You fight. No, no, not even two thirds, just a majority. You, you would. But go ahead. Sorry. Take, take well, it away. I was going to say we'd rather die free men than live under uh, Harris's rule. And it's communism's coming. And that's coming. Wait till she gets in. Biden's just a puppet. 
and wait what happens when that's why they're all going down here to six to fight. We're not surrendering the republic to communism. We will not do wait it. Wait a minute. Republicans. Joe, are you saying that uh, that uh, Kamala Harris will be running the country? And uh, uh, Jason, if you could get this up real quick, instead of Joe Biden, I believe Joe Biden spoke about this uh, just recently. If we could go to that cut there, Jason. I took it to instill public confidence in the vaccine. President-elect Harris took it, took hers today for the same reason. President-elect Harris? Oh, boy. Come on, man. The soft part out loud. Yeah, come on, man, indeed. Hey, Joe, thanks for the call, man. I appreciate it. Joe on Long Island. Oh, boy. Uh, January 6th is going to be, well, January 5th, you got the Senate runoff. And then January 6th, uh, it, you you have the uh, contesting of the Electoral College vote and that is now led by Josh Hawley. So he's broken the ice on the Senate side. There's several Republicans in the House side, uh, like Louis Gohmert, uh, who are going to be doing the same. So um, even if the desired result doesn't happen uh, for the uh, Trumplicans, as, as Joe called it, uh, it's, it's going to be one hell of a thing to, to watch. That, that That's certainly for sure. Anyway, Joe Concha filling in for Sean Hannity. 800-941-7326. See, Katie, I said the number. 800-941-7326. We'll finish up with your calls. Joe Concha filling in for Sean Hannity. Back with more in a moment. Why is it every song that we come in with, I feel like J.R. Ewing is just going to come back from the dead at any moment and just uh, be my first caller on here. I love it, though. You know, it's like it's got a southern feel. I went to school, I think, down south. I think if you're below Delaware, it's below the Mason-Dixon line. Yep, I did. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Play that whole thing. Can we please? Hillary Clinton, Selma, Alabama. No ways tired. I've come too too far. far. Okay, that's enough of that. Thank you, everybody, Jason, the board op, and everybody else involved with the show, and Sean for letting me take his seat, although I'm in my basement for one day, and hopefully I'll see you again soon. Everybody have a happy new year out there. God knows it'll be the happiest incoming year we've ever had after this craptastic, no good, horrible, ugly, pandemic-filled year. And again, you can catch me on the Fox News Channel tonight on Sean Hannity's show without Sean Hannity, Tammy Bruce filling in at 9 p.m. Eastern time. I'm Joe Concha. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. Bye-bye. What do you, where, where do you think you're going? Because you have another minute here. I have to come on the I air do. and tell you have another minute. Oh, wow. What the hell's well, wrong with you? Well, think, you know what? There's a happy hour thing that starts at 6 o'clock at a neighbor's house down the block. We sit around a fire pit and, and, and drink uh, bush light. So I was kind of hoping to get the good seat near the fire the most there, Jason. All right, just up, pop so. open a lukewarm schlitz and let's finish the show, okay? We still got some time left. I have to admit, I do have some Pat's Foo Ribbon that I could that I could bring on. Oh, What's yeah. your cheap uh, beer choice, oh, Jason? PBR. When I went to Coyote Ugly, that was my beer of choice. $2 beers. How can you beat that? $2 beers. Wow. Actually, $3. Okay. There are places in Manhattan where it costs something like $16 for a drink. I used to get a full quarter keg for that back in college. That shows you uh, how old I am. Ah, there is the uh, get off the stage music. Thank God. How long do I have, Jason, to a stretch here, as they say? 20 seconds. blind here. 20 seconds. Very good. Okay. Well, thank you to Peter Navarro, who was uh, kind enough to join the show, and Governor Mike Huckabee as well. Miranda Devine, New York Post. At Joe Concha TV is the Twitter, and that's where you can follow me. And I'm out of here, guys. Uh, my neighbor, uh, Greg, listening right now. I'll be there in about three minutes. Thank you, everybody. You have a great new year. Bye-bye.